Animals Today Radio is made possible in part by a generous grant from International Society for Animal Rights, isaronline.org. Welcome to Animals Today, your home for a serious talk about animals. I'm Dr. Lori Kirshner. Now, you probably know Captain Paul Watson as the leader of Sea Shepherd Conservation Society. Besides whale wars, which everyone knows about, under Paul's guidance, Sea Shepherd has grown into a mega international animal protection organization. And I just learned that there's a crisis happening right in our backyard in the Sea of Cortez. Paul is on with us now, and we're going to get an update on what Sea Shepherd is up to. But first, we're going to talk about the cute and endangered porpoise, the vaquita. Hey, Paul, thanks for joining us on Animals Today. Well, thank you. Paul, so what is a vaquita, and how did Sea Shepherd become interested in them? Uh, the vaquita is the smallest uh, cetacean uh, in the world. It's also one of the most endangered. There's an estimated less than 92 of them left in the well. They only live in the upper part of the Sea of Cortez, the Gulf of California. Uh, there's an area called the Vaquita Refuge, which is where they're supposed to be protected. Uh, unfortunately, fishermen go in there and uh, illegally fish, and uh, the Vaquita get tangled in their nets and uh, are killed. Uh, so earlier last year, we set up a, a partnership with the Mexican government. So we're working uh, in cooperation with the Mexican Navy. So right now we have our sailing vessel, the Martin Sheen, there, and in a couple of days we'll be joined by the Farley Moat. And the Farley Moat is a former U.S. Coast Guard patrol vessel. So uh, we'll have two vessels there for the next few months, and uh, their job is to uh, patrol the Bikita Refuge and uh, report any uh, illegal activity to the Navy. And it's already been quite successful. A uh, number of vessels have been reported. The Navy's made arrests, and uh, we're keeping the uh, the illegal fishing out of the Bikita Refuge. So it's... Uh, I think it's a very important campaign because uh, the vaquita is one of the most endangered uh, marine mammals on the planet. Paul, earlier in 2013, you succeeded in videotaping them. How important was getting that footage? The fishermen had been arguing for a couple of years that there were no more vaquita, therefore there was no need for any protection. They said that they were extinct, and if they were extinct, then it was purposeless to have any protections. But uh, uh, Una Leol, who's the captain on the Martin Sheen, was successful in um, getting a, you know, filming the Paquita, and uh, the president of Mexico saw that, and uh, that's what initiated our partnership with the Mexican Navy. Paul, is the Mexican government genuinely interested in conservation? I would say the Mexican government has uh, been very concerned about this issue and uh, we're certainly working with them and they're giving us uh, they just last week gave us permission to pull in any nets that we find up until last week um, we weren't allowed to do that but then we uh, found a humpback whale that had died in one of the nets and uh, documented that and uh, we asked for permission the permission was given so the Mexican government's been very very cooperative with our with our efforts on this project. Paul can you tell us what your current lineup of vessels is? We have uh, the Martin Sheen, our 92-foot sailing catch, which is uh, in the Sea of Cortez, and that'll be joined by the Farley Moat. It's a 110-foot uh, former U.S. Coast, Coast Guard patrol boat. We purchased two of those patrol boats uh, earlier last year. Uh, the other one is the Jules Verne, and it's in um, Key West, Florida right now, and being prepared for campaigns uh, for this year. 
The Steve Irwin, which is our flagship, is in uh, southern um, uh, Australia and uh, is leaving within a few days to go to the Southern Ocean to uh, patrol against illegal activities there. Uh, last year, uh, Sea Shepherd uh, stopped the uh, toothfish poaching operations down there. But Bob Barker uh, chased the notorious toothfish poacher, the Thunder, for 110 days until its captains scuttled it off the coast of Somtomi on the west coast of Africa. And the Sam Simon, our other vessel down there, it uh, confiscated the 72 kilometers of gillnet, which was then uh, delivered to uh, Germany and will be recycled into shoes. So the Sam Simon and the, uh, and the Bob Barker are the two other big vessels. We have the Bridget Bardot, which is presently in Marseille, and uh, it is in, uh, it's about to patrol the uh, Sicilian um, marine reserves to protect them from poachers. And uh, the Bob Barkers also now is in uh, uh, dry dock in Istanbul. And we have the Hyromora Sandoval, which is patrolling the waters of Cape Verde. It must be incredibly expensive to keep these vessels manned and operated, huh? It is very expensive uh, to keep them operating, and uh, we, uh, you know, especially since we're a, a very small organization relatively, to, you know, to the big groups. Uh, I mean, Greenpeace has a budget of 300 million euros a year, or about four, 350 million dollars, and they have three ships, and we have a budget of less than 10 million, and we have nine ships. Paul, who works on these ships? Where do these people come from? Could someone like me become a crew member? We try to give an opportunity to everybody who wants to uh, participate to do so. We're looking for passionate people, courageous people. Uh, one of the test questions that uh, we ask are, are you willing to risk your life to uh, save a whale? Yeah. Uh, and if people say no, then we don't take them. That's really the criteria. Um, you know, we, of course, have skilled people, but we also take people from all different walks of life. In this last year, I think we've had about 500 volunteers participate on the vessels and on the land crews. And uh, when people say, well, that's been asking a little much, asking people to risk their life to protect a whale, uh, my answer to that is, I don't think so. We ask young people to risk their life, uh, actually to kill people and die for real estate and religion and flags. So I think that protecting an endangered species is a far more noble endeavor. Paul, some of the most intense footage we see anywhere are the close-up confrontations on the high seas Sea Shepherd engages in as they try to disrupt the Japanese whaling operations. What exactly are you trying to do, and what are you allowed to do? What Japan is doing in the Southern Ocean is illegal on many levels. Uh, in 2014, the International Court of Justice ruled that their uh, whaling was illegal. Uh, it's prohibited by the International Whaling Commission. They're in contempt of the Australian Federal Court. Um, so what they're doing is killing whales in an established international uh, whale sanctuary and uh, in violation of a global moratorium on commercial whaling. So they're criminals. Um, we are able to intervene. The only thing that we have against us is that uh, Japan uh, brought a lawsuit against us in the United States and the U.S. Uh, Ninth Circuit Court ruled in favor of the Japanese. Every other court in the world ruled against them. But the fact is, is that they're poachers and... Uh, and Sea Shepherd has been intervening against illegal activities. That's what Sea Shepherd does. We're, we're not a protest organization. We're an anti-poaching organization intervening against criminal operations. What is the International Whaling Commission, and is it functioning as it's supposed to? 
The International Whaling Commission was established in 1946 originally to protect the whaling industry, but uh, slowly during the 70s we were able to get control of it so that the conservationists became, uh, you know, able to influence it a lot. And uh, in 1987, the International Whaling Commission ruled that there would be a moratorium on all commercial whaling. Unfortunately, Norway, Iceland, uh, Denmark, and uh, Japan have just consistently refused to abide by those regulations. Now, the signatory nations to the International Whaling Commission are obligated to take action, economic action, against any of these nations that violate the, um, these uh, regulations. And that would shut down all whaling. But mm, the problem is, is that international conservation law uh, really doesn't have much teeth because uh, it gets in the way of trade relations. So, for instance, the United States could shut down whaling tomorrow by simply up enforcing the Packwood magnuson Pelly Amendment, which would uh, put economic um, pressure on Japan, Iceland, and Norway. But they refuse to do so because they've got trade agreements with those countries. So the law is being discriminated against. Uh, you know, it's in favor of the people committing the illegal activities. Why do the Japanese continue to engage in this cruel industry? Is there a big economic benefit? Are there strong cultural traditions? Well, there's no economic benefit to it. It's, uh, it's, it's been subsidized for decades. Um, culturally, no. Japan started whaling in 1946, and it was introduced into Japan by General Douglas MacArthur uh, as a way to uh, provide cheap protein to the Japanese population. So it doesn't have a, a historical basis. But here's what it does have, is that it's a government-owned corporation, this whaling industry, and the people who run that corporation are ex-politicians who are given golden parachutes, being that they're in charge of that with very high salaries. So if you shut down whaling, you put them out of a job. Uh, so the other problem is that the sailors, the seamen who work on the uh, whaling belong to unions which are controlled by the Yakuza, Japanese mafia. And they, of course, put pressure on the government to make sure this happens. But it does lose money every year. In fact, the subsidies included 30 million U.S. that was uh, given to the whaling industry uh, that was donated to Japan for the Tsunami Relief Fund. So people around the world sent money to help the Japanese people, and 30 million of that was allocated to the whaling industry. So it's, um, it's scandalous in, in that respect. The other reason that it continues to go on is Japan's policy on fisheries is not to give an inch on anything. They think that if they give in on, blue, on whales, then they'll have to give in on bluefin tuna and other fisheries, and they're systematically you know, diminishing entire species of fish around the world. Uh, so they're really the most stubborn country in the world when it comes to marine conservation. And explain the research loopholes employed by the Japanese to capture and kill whales. There are no loopholes. There are no loopholes. The International Court of Justice ruled there are no loopholes. Uh, they're, they're blatantly killing whales illegally. Uh, and if this was Uruguay or Nigeria or Namibia, they would be stopped. But because it's Japan, which is one of the most powerful economic countries in the world, they get away with what they're doing. The rich countries can do whatever the hell they want. Uh, poor countries get punished. Don't go away. We're speaking to Captain Paul Watson, the leader of Sea Shepherd Conservation Society. You're listening to Animals Today. Hi, this is Dr. Lori Kirshner, and I want to thank you for listening to Animals Today. Make sure to visit us on AnimalsTodayRadio.com, where you will see all our previous shows and where you can download them free. That's AnimalsTodayRadio.com, or you can listen on iTunes. 
Also, make sure to like us on Facebook and join the discussion. Animals Today gets a lot of its support from the nonprofit group Advancing the Interests of Animals. Please visit them at aianimals.org. That's aianimals.org. And I hope you'll consider making a donation to help pay for the ongoing broadcast of Animals Today. Each week on Animals Today, we strive to bring you the highest quality, most up-to-date information about all animals, how we treat them, and their place in society, while promoting greater respect and kindness towards them. So thanks for your support. That website again is aianimals.org. And thanks for listening. Hi, it's Dr. Lori from Animals Today Radio. Today's Animals Today fun facts are about penguins. Specifically, the world's biggest penguin, or at least the fossilized remains of it, were recently discovered in Antarctica. 37 million years ago, a giant penguin, almost seven feet tall, inhabited the rocky shores and the seas. Scientists believe this huge aquatic bird would have been able to stay underwater 40 minutes or longer, allowing it to hunt deep sea fish. The second largest penguin ever discovered was merely five feet tall. And there are your Animals Today fun facts for today. Hey folks, it's Danny here. I want to talk to you a little bit about our power grid. Now, it's no secret that the administration has literally declared war on the coal industry. And the result is that the cost of electricity is skyrocketing right past the record rates we already have. Now, ultimately, I believe these policies are going to create real shortages of electricity. It's like Obamacare, but with the power grid. And it gets worse. Experts say that our power grid continues to remain unprotected and vulnerable, which is why I want all of my listeners to be able to produce their own supply of electricity. Listen, I believe that it's time to prepare. You should always prepare and be prepared, especially with any coming problems concerning the power grid. So do what I did. Get a solar generator from Solutions from Science. They run quietly, emit no fumes, and produce an endless supply of electricity from the sun. Go to DanaSolarBackup.com to learn more. That's DanaSolarBackup.com. Use coupon code Dana to get a special half-price offer. DanaSolarBackup.com. Do you owe the IRS money? Do you have years of unfiled returns? Has the IRS garnished your wages or put a lien against your house? The IRS has the power to make you pay back what they claim you owe and will stop at nothing to collect. If you are losing sleep over your IRS tax problem, there is a solution. Call Signature Tax now. Speak with our professionals and feel the weight of your tax burden lifted from your shoulders. Call 800-859-9446 for your free and confidential analysis on ending your tax nightmare. We can help get your life back on track and give you the fresh start you deserve. Our A-plus BBB-rated tax resolution team has over 125 years of combined experience to get you the best deal possible while stopping the IRS dead in their tracks. Call Signature Tax now at 800-859-9446. Call 800-859-9446. Again, that's 800-859-9446. 800-859-9446. Welcome back to the show. We're speaking with Captain Paul Watson. Paul, one of your current and important campaigns is called Operation Ultimate Justice. What is that? Back in 2012, the Japanese um, 
filed a lawsuit against uh, Sea Shepherd because we were effectively shutting down their operations in the Southern Ocean. They filed for an injunction against our activities in the Seattle court. The judge in that case refused to give them the injunction because they were coming into his courtroom with what he said were unclean hands, meaning they were in contempt of the Australian federal court. And he refused to give them that injunction, and we proceeded to carry on. Uh, But in December, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeal granted them that injunction, and our vessels had already left, and then they proceeded to charge us with 21 counts of of contempt for approaching within 500 feet of a a Japanese whaling vessel, which is really interesting because these are Australian-New Zealand-flagged vessels operating out of Australia against Japanese ships in Antarctic waters, but the Japanese went to the U.S. courts to get an injunction against Sea Shepherd USA. And those Sea Shepherd USA complied with the injunction. They said because we share the name Sea Shepherd with the other nations that we were guilty of contempt. Anyway, it went to court. The commissioner ruled that we were were not guilty, and uh, we thought that was the end of it. And then the Ninth Circuit Court of uh, Appeal overturned that and ruled that we were guilty, and we had to pay $2.5 million in uh, legal fees to the Japanese. Now we're turning the tables on them and going after them, because by filing against us in the U.S. courts, they opened up for us to countersue them, and that's what we're, we're doing right now. And we're trying to get information on what the Japanese are doing with their whale meat, uh, what the whole point of this, stuff that they don't want the public to know, and that's what we're going after. The other thing, in 2010, there was a vessel that was operating with us. It wasn't one of our vessels, the Adi Gil. It was uh, cut in half by a Japanese whaling vessel and destroyed, and uh, Japan didn't have to answer to anybody for that at all. They just refused to uh, respond to the New Zealand Australian legal authorities. So um, the owner of that vessel, Bobby Gilden, sued Sea Shepherd, and we had to pay him for the, the loss of the boat, even though he knew what the risks were when he went into this. So we're now also suing uh, Japan for uh, compensation for the loss of that boat. But most importantly, we're suing them to get information on this, all the stuff that they really don't want the public to know about their illegal operations in the Southern Ocean. Meanwhile, uh, Sea Shepherd Global, that is the non-U.S. entities, continue their opposition to, to illegal whaling activities in the Southern Ocean. It's a very complex thing, but uh, it does indicate one thing, that we really made an impact over the 10 years that Sea Shepherd was opposing the Japanese activities in the Southern Ocean. We were able to cut the quotas every year by less than 30% and one year by less than 10%, and overall saved the lives of about 6,000 whales during that time. That's incredible. Tell us about your legal team. Do you have in-house counsel? Well, we do have in-house counsel, but we do have lawyers all over the world. We have lawyers working in Costa Rica, in Germany, in uh, uh, in the U.S., in Seattle, in Washington. Uh, we have a lot of lawyers. <laughs> but I've always felt that there's two fights, uh, two battles that we have to fight. One is on the high seas, and the other one is in the courtrooms. So we're also like taking uh, Denmark to court in Europe for their illegal killing of pilot whales in the Danish Faroe Islands. Uh, We're taking seal killers to court in uh, Scotland. Uh, We're killing seals uh, to uh, defend their so-called salmon farming operations. Uh, So we're, you know, we we won a court case against a Maltese uh, bluefin tuna company because we opened up their nets and freed 800 illegally caught uh, bluefin tuna back in 2010. They then filed a suit against us in the British courts 
uh, we won, they appealed, they won, we took it to the Supreme Court, we won, and then they had to pay us uh, damages. So, you know, we fight both in the courts and on the high seas. Paul, many of us find it so difficult to view the photos of the carcasses and watch the videos of whaling happening. Truly, it's so disappointing and distressing to me that whaling continues to occur anywhere in the world. How do we get to the point where there's no more whaling and it's just a sad chapter in our world's history? Well, the problem is, is uh, human greed. Uh, as long as there's money to be made from any so-called what they call resource, they're going to exploit it. And that's one of the reasons we've destroyed 90% of the fishes of the sea, 90% of the whales. Now, let's take a look at uh, what a whale means, the value of a whale to our survival. That's why one of the reasons that we had a life-size blue whale uh, erected on the banks of the Seine in Paris for the climate change conference was to illustrate this fact. In the 20th century, we wiped out 90% of the whales, including 300,000 blue whales. Every day, one blue whale drops into the ocean three tons of manure, and that manure contains nitrogen and iron, which is the food base for the phytoplankton populations, which is the base for the, the entire life support system on the planet. It provides uh, over 50% of the oxygen we breathe, and since 1950, we've had a 40% diminishment in the uh, uh, phytoplankton population. Why? Because we've destroyed the whales. When you damage any part of an ecosystem, you set a chain reaction in motion which causes damage right down the line. If we destroy the whales, we destroy ourselves. So one thing I constantly keep saying over and over again, if the ocean dies, we die. We don't live on this planet with a dead ocean, and we are killing the ocean. It is dying. For the most part, it's out of sight and out of mind, but it doesn't matter whether you live on the top of the Himalayas or if you live along the, the, the coast of the ocean, it, we depend upon the ocean for our survival. Well stated. Paul, do you and your crew ever have time to have fun on the ship? Oh, yeah. I, you know, we were... <laughs> Once somebody once described being in the U.S. Navy as uh, 90% boredom and 10% of uh, being scared out of your mind. Uh, you know, but uh, we have long hauls between these campaigns, so you know you have to, you know, have fun. Now, one of the things that we do every year down in the Southern Ocean is what we call the uh, swim with penguins, where everybody just gets to jump in the water with just their bathing suit at 27 degrees. Usually, about half the crew do it. And uh, in the past, we've actually snowboarded down the side of icebergs and, uh, you know, dived, dove under them and, and played with the penguins. It's, uh, there's a lot of fun. Paul, as I mentioned earlier, Sea Shepherd has grown into a very broad conservation organization now with interest in dolphin slaughter and sea turtles, sharks, the Galapagos, environmental protection, and, and many more. There are many ways for people to get involved in your organization without putting their own lives in jeopardy, right? Right. Well, I should say we're not an organization. We're more, it's a movement. And uh, it's a movement that everybody can get involved in. Uh, people can certainly participate as crew on the ships, but we also have uh, people shore-based campaigns. For instance, this last summer, we had people on the beaches in Florida, Costa Rica, Colombia, and Honduras uh, protecting turtle nests. Uh, so people, we had people in the Faroe Islands on land protecting uh, the pilot whales. People in Japan, they're there right now protecting dolphins in Taiju, Japan. And of course, uh, we have shore supporters who, who raise the funds to pay for the uh, operations and for the ships, which are very expensive. Uh, so anybody can be involved on many levels. Uh, but we'd like to stress that it's not an organization. It's a, it's a global movement. Yeah. 
And another element that I see you have really developed is the line of merchandise supporting Sea Shepherd. I get cruelty-free merchandise as well, right? Right. And uh, we do that because, uh, you know, we, we created this logo, which is like a brand, and uh, it's very popular, especially with young people, the pirate logo. And uh, I figured it this way, you know, if all of these uh, designers can market their stuff on uh, with their brand and their logo, and really they're not really doing nothing but marketing their name, uh, why not set up a line of merchandise where the money goes directly to protect the ocean? Captain Paul Watson, you are one of my heroes, and I want to thank you for coming on the show. Well, thank you very much. Rita, you look upset. I am, and I'm not sure what to do. My neighbor's dog is tied up outside. He looks very skinny and sick, and I never see food or clean water given to him. You need to report this right away. What do you mean? You should call Animal Services or the police and tell them about the abused and neglected dog. They can help to make sure the dog is properly taken care of. Okay, I can't stand to watch him suffer anymore. What's the number? Even though most of us take good care of our pets, not everyone treats dogs and cats with the care and compassion they need to be safe and healthy. If you see that a dog or cat is not being treated properly, report it to animal services or the police right away. Pets need food and clean water and protection from extreme weather. You can make the difference, and you don't have to give your name. Help stop pet abuse and neglect. Be their voice. Make the call. This message is brought to you by Advancing the Interests of Animals. Visit them at AIanimals.org. That's AIanimals.org. There is no getting around it. The great outdoors isn't so great for your cat. From speeding cars to toxic lawn chemicals, coyotes to cruel humans, cats are no match to the dangers of today's world. The good news is animal behavior experts say cats don't need to go outside to be happy. Your family will be happier and healthier, too, without the ticks, fleas, diseases, and the dead critters the outdoor cats bring their owners. And you will never have to explain to a crying child who or what hurt her pet or why he hasn't come home. Cats can enjoy a happy and safe life indoors. The key is to provide attention, exercise, and a stimulating environment. Play with your cat. It's fun for both of you. You can hide toys around the house, too. Just make sure there can be no detachable parts that can be swallowed. You can protect your cat from becoming a tragic statistic. Tomorrow may be too late. This message is brought to you by Advancing the Interests of Animals. Visit them at www.aianimals.org. That's aianimals.org. Are you worried about your mom or dad living alone in their house? Hi, I'm Joan London. Listen, I know how difficult it is to find senior care for someone you love. That's why I recommend a free service called A Place for Mom. They are the nation's largest senior living referral service. Call A Place for Mom today. To receive free information on senior living communities in your area, call A Place for Mom at 1-800-643-2848. A Place for Mom offers free one-on-one advice from local advisors and a personalized list of senior living communities you can visit. If you have questions about senior care for your mom or dad, there's a place for answers, a place for mom. Call a place for mom in the next 10 minutes to get your free ebook on financing senior care as well as free information on senior living communities in your area. Hi, I'm Missy Tannen, founder of Bowl and Branch. Bowl and Branch makes the softest, most comfortable sheets in the world for a fraction of what you'd pay in a department store. We only sell online at bowlandbranch.com and cut out all of the markups you'll find everywhere else. I'm especially proud that three U.S. presidents sleep on our sheets. 
Bowl and Branch Bedding is a fantastic gift for yourself or for a loved one. It's Black Friday weekend, and there's never been a better time to give us a try. So go to bowlandbranch.com today for huge savings on our sheets, towels, blankets, duvet covers, everything, plus free shipping. Our products come beautifully packaged in our signature boxes, complete with bows and tissue paper. There's never been an easier way to give a thoughtful gift. So don't miss the Black Friday sale at bowlandbranch.com. That's B-O-L-L-A-N-D-B-R-A-N-C-H.com. And use promo code Black Friday. Give the gift of comfort at bowlandbranch.com. Promo code Black Friday. Do you hear that ringing? I've heard that ringing in my ears for over 20 years. My doctor said... The ringing and buzzing in your ears is called tinnitus, and you're just going to have to learn to live with it. The constant ringing in my ears is annoying. I've tried everything, and nothing worked. So I invested my own money, met with doctors, specialists, and certified labs. After a decade of research, we've developed Tinoxyl, a prescription-free, 100% natural and effective way to stop the ringing. And better yet, it helps me sleep. Trying to sleep with ringing in my ears is almost impossible. But with Tinoxyl, I started sleeping better in the first couple weeks. I'm so confident that Tinoxyl will help you too that I'm giving the first 100 callers a free 30-day supply. Don't let the ringing in your ears control your life. Call now and get your free 30-day supply. Just pay shipping. Take back control of your life. Combat the ringing and start sleeping again. Try it for free. Call 800-930-1669. That's 800-930-1669. 800-930-1669. back to the program. Our friends at the Animal Legal Defense Fund just released their 2015 annual report where they ranked the strengths and weaknesses of animal welfare laws among the 50 states. To tell us about this, I want to welcome Laura Dunn, who is staff attorney for the Animal Legal Defense Fund's criminal justice program, where she assists prosecutors and law enforcement throughout the country on animal cruelty cases. Welcome to the show, Laura. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Laura, what is this report, and when did you start publishing it? So ALDS report is the longest-running and most comprehensive report of its kind, uh, and this is the uh, 10th year of the report. So, Laura, what are the best states for animal protection laws? So the best five states remained the same this year uh, for many years in a row. This is the eighth consecutive year. Illinois is holding strong at the top, uh, followed by Oregon, Maine, California, and Michigan. And we're, and we're going to talk about that, but first tell us, which are the worst states? So the states that unfortunately are at the bottom of our rankings report for animal protection are North Dakota, Utah, Wyoming, Iowa, and Kentucky is 50th for the ninth consecutive year. Wow. Wow. Now, Laura, how do you go about ranking the states? So we rank all 50 states according to 15 distinct categories of animal protection laws. And those categories range from anything from penalties for abuse and neglect to prohibitions on future ownership for convicted offenders, and also um, laws that include animals in protective orders for domestic violence. You mentioned the best five states are Illinois, Oregon, Maine, 
California and Michigan. And I have to tell you, I was a little surprised to see Illinois at the top of the list. But what do these states share that puts them at the top of the heap here? So the best five states for animal protection laws, they all have felony penalties available for abuse, for neglect, animal fighting. They also allow animals to be forfeited or taken from the abuser's custody after an animal cruelty conviction. All of these best five states also restrict future possession of animals after conviction. And uh, they also have comprehensive measures that allow cost recovery for uh, caregiving entities. Why is Illinois ranked better than California? Even though they're in the top five best states, Illinois still won and California's four. Why is Illinois ranked better than California in this ranking report? So there are a couple of ways that Illinois' laws uh, rank a, a little bit better than California. In Illinois, there are increased penalties available for a repeat abuser that is not available under statute in California. There are also increased penalties when the abuse is committed in the presence of a minor in Illinois, uh, and California does not have such a law. How about the states on the bottom of the list? Why are their animal protection laws so deficient? So the worst five states uh, rank last for a number of reasons. None of these states make animal neglect a felony, even though in these cases, the prolonged suffering of these animal victims, they're deprived of basic care like food and water, and these can be some of the worst cases that prosecutors take on. Uh, Many of these uh, worst five states could also improve their laws by making it mandatory that an offender forfeit an animal after conviction. Uh, They could also increase penalties when the animal abuse is committed in front of a minor child. And actually requiring that veterinarians report animal cruelty is a really important component to addressing uh, animal cruelty situations. And Kentucky stands alone in that Kentucky is the only state that by law forbids veterinarians from this kind of reporting. Laura, why do you think Kentucky does not require veterinarians to report animal abuse cases? So Kentucky has raised uh, some concerns about potential uh, liability for veterinarians who report animal cruelty. However, most states that make it mandatory for veterinarians to report cruelty also include a provision that explicitly states veterinarians are immune from any civil or criminal liability. And that is a great way that a state like Kentucky Uh, can amend its laws uh, for veterinary reporting. Laura, it's amazing that any state would allow a convicted animal abuser to get another animal. Please expand upon that. Yes, in all of the worst five states for animal protection laws, none of those states require that after a conviction, uh, an animal abuser is forbidden from owning animals in the future. So that is one way that all of those states could improve their laws. What is it about these worst states that allows them to have such terrible animal protection laws? Well, one of the positive things that we hope will come out of this report is that all states, not only the worst five, uh, but this report will inspire folks in those states to take action. We've seen a lot of good come out of uh, the public looking at ways in which their laws could improve contacting their representatives, and pushing for change. 
Did you see any trends in animal protection legislation compared to last year or even over a longer time frame? One of the major trends that we're really excited uh, to see is continuing is that more and more states are allowing animals to be included in protective orders in domestic violence cases. And this is so important because victims of domestic violence, the human victims, will often not leave their abusers because they're afraid of what will happen to their animals. Yeah. So these protective order laws, which 29 states now have on the books, help to break that cycle of domestic violence and keep both people and animals safer. Which state was most improved compared to last year? We were very impressed that New Jersey, which was pretty low in rank in past years, jumped into the top tier this year and was the most improved state in 2015. And this is in part because New Jersey passed some new legislation on dogfighting. Dogfighting is a highly organized and really dangerous activity, and New Jersey made dogfighting a RICO offense, also called a racketeering offense, which really helps prosecutors and law enforcement shut down these dogfighting rings. New Jersey also makes it not only organizing or participating in a dogfight illegal, but also being a spectator at that dogfight, which is so significant because these organized fights wouldn't and couldn't occur without spectators. Mm. Laura, how do people use this report to promote or advance animal welfare? Well, we've been really honored that both behind the scenes and in public testimony, uh, both members of the public uh, and representatives at the state legislator level are uh, noting this report, uh, noting where their state ranks, and really using that as kind of inspiration to improve their animal protection laws. We would just really encourage everyone, no matter what state you're in, no matter what your state's rank, to get involved and help improve the animal protection laws in your state for the betterment of the animals. Very good. Laura Dunn, staff attorney for the Animal Legal Defense Fund's Criminal Justice Program. Thank you so much for sharing this information with us. Thank you so much. Peter, remember a few months ago when our neighbor was out with his small dogs and a coyote jumped over their six-foot wall and grabbed one of their dogs? I know, I know. And then he leapt back over the wall and ran away with the dog in his mouth? Witnessed by the neighbor, unfortunately. Exactly. Oh, how sad. So sad. So, a couple of words about protecting your dogs and cats from uh, wild animals. If you happen to live in an area where there are uh, coyotes or other animals around, you need to be aware. Everyone lives in those areas. I mean, it could be not just coyotes, hawks and owls, rats and raccoons, right? Those New York City rats. (laughs) Okay, so you've got a few tips for us to review. Yeah, so don't leave your dog unattended outdoors like my neighbor did. You you just wouldn't really realize that, Um, especially at the times when wild animals are more likely to be on the prowl, like dawn and dusk and, and during the night. And you've got to make sure that uh, whatever fencing you have to protect your animals is adequate. Make sure it's tall enough and also make sure it is buried at least a foot and a half underground to keep animals from getting under it. And a very obvious one, never feed wildlife or leave any food for your animals outdoors or leave food for wild animals. That just obviously attracts them to you. Yes, please don't feed the bears. Uh, Garbage cans, obviously keep them secured, as well as the trash bags. And clean up after your dogs, because the coyotes are attracted to the feces. Yeah, I didn't know that, Peter. Yeah. 
And if you happen to see a coyote or other animal on your property, spraying it with water or creating a loud noise might help, like blowing a whistle or banging pots together that should drive the, the animal away without harming it. Now, another element of this is that if you like to walk in the woods with your dogs, uh, be mindful about untamed animals. You're invading their homes. So you don't want to let your dog into thick areas of brush that could be home to one of these predators, like javelina, right? Right. And one might not think about this, but as a precaution before visiting wooded areas, make sure there's a ban on hunting. And I'll tell you, I do follow these things. And unfortunately, uh, innocent people get accidentally shot. Not that uncommonly. So uh, stay away from any hunting areas. And another uh, tip is that you should keep your eye on your dog, whether he or she is on the leash or not. Make sure you've got good visual contact with your dog at all times. And many experienced hikers know this and it just seems to be common sense. Don't approach a wild animal or corner him. Odds are he's more frightened than you are of him. So here's the bottom line uh, when you're out with your dog. Your dog is domesticated. There are some instincts, but your dog probably doesn't know what's a real dangerous situation or when it, he or she ought to flee. So get the heck out of there if you need to. Pick up your dog and go if you have to, and uh, just be, be alert. And remember, this is the wild animal's home that you're invading. That's right. It's Dr. Lori from Animals Today Radio, and today's Animals Today fun facts are about octopuses. Did you know the oldest octopus fossil was from an animal that lived 296 million years ago? And you can see that fossil at the Field Museum in Chicago. Octopuses have three hearts, one of which supplies blood to the organs, and the other two work to supply the gills. And their blood is a blue color, which transports oxygen better at cold temperatures and in low oxygen waters. And there are your Animals Today fun facts for today. This is Dr. Lori Kirshner, and I want to thank you for joining us on Animals Today. Each week, we explore the wide variety of new and important issues concerning the welfare and rights of animals, how people treat them, and where they fit in society. From whale protectors risking their own lives on the open seas, to lawmakers fighting to pass legislation to assist animals, to kids volunteering at their local shelter, Animals Today provides timely and in-depth analysis and interviews with experts and advocates from around the world. To listen, join us every week on this station, listen on iTunes, or go to animalstodayradio.com, where you can access and listen to all the prior shows. And like us on Facebook and share your views. Much of our financial support comes from the nonprofit group Advancing the Interests of Animals. That's AIanimals.org. So check them out. This is Dr. Lori, and thanks for listening. Hey folks, it's Dana here. I want to talk to you a little bit about our power grid. Now, it's no secret that the administration has literally declared war on the coal industry. And the result is that the cost of electricity is skyrocketing right past the record rates we already have. Now, ultimately, I believe these policies are going to create real shortages of electricity. It's like Obamacare, but with the power grid. And it gets worse. Experts say that our power grid continues to remain unprotected and vulnerable, which is why I want all of my listeners to 
be able to produce their own supply of electricity. Listen, I believe that it's time to prepare. You should always prepare and be prepared, especially with any coming problems concerning the power grid. So do what I did. Get a solar generator from Solutions from Science. They run quietly, emit no fumes, and produce an endless supply of electricity from the sun. Go to DanaSolarBackup.com to learn more. That's DanaSolarBackup.com. Use coupon code Dana to get a special half price offer. DanaSolarBackup.com. This report is brought to you by Shriners Hospitals for Children. The U.S. Fire Administration reports more home fires during the holiday months than any other time of the year. Home fires and deaths increase significantly with more cooking, decorations, and open flames. And the biggest fire risk of all could be your Christmas tree. Shriners Hospitals for Children and actor Joe Minoso of NBC's Chicago Fire offer simple steps to keep families safe from fires and burn injuries with the Be Burn Aware PSA series. Joe Minoso. During the holidays, hundreds of kids are taken to the ER with severe burns. That's why I'm working with Shriners Hospitals for Children to remind you to be burn aware this holiday season. Simple steps like watering your tree daily and discarding the tree once it becomes dry can significantly reduce the risk of house fires and burn injuries. Additional tips include making sure your tree is at least three feet from heat sources and never leaving lit candles unattended. Learn more at BeBurnAware.org. I'm Bob DeRigo Jones, and this is Let's Be Fair. In basketball, a player who commits too many fouls is ejected from the game. In our court system, a person who files too many frivolous lawsuits can be ejected from the courts, too. There's a legal term for a person who files too many frivolous lawsuits. They're called a vexatious litigant. Courts don't do this often, but a woman in Idaho filed so many frivolous lawsuits she was officially named a vexatious litigant by three states, two federal circuit courts, and the U.S. Supreme Court. The courts told the repeat lawsuit offender that she couldn't file any more lawsuits without special permission from a judge. So what did she do next? She actually sued the last judge who told her she couldn't file any more lawsuits. Let's be fair, taking away anyone's right to sue should be done only as a last resort. Yet because frivolous lawsuits tie up courts and delay justice for others, judges shouldn't hesitate to penalize people when they continuously abuse the courts. Learn more. Visit our website at centerforamericatv.org. Welcome back to the show. Uh, we received a, a delightful book authored by Matt Burgles called Larry Saves the Prairie, the story of Larry Haverfield, a true wildlife hero. And fortunately, Matt has agreed to come on the show and tell us a little bit about uh, what inspired him to write this wonderful children's book. Hello, Matt. Hey, how are you? Uh, we're, we're fine. So Larry Saves the Prairie. Uh, what got you interested in the prairie and prairie dogs? Well, in the back of the book, there's a couple of sections that the publisher was very generous in allowing me to complete, and one is called Acknowledgements, and the other one is the story behind the story, and that goes in great depth in answering your question, but to be brief here, I grew up on the prairie in a subdivision in southern Colorado. My house was the last one that backed up to the prairie between me and Pikes Peak and the rest of the front range of Colorado. And I could literally look out my backyard and see nothing until it was interrupted by those beautiful Rocky Mountains. And I would wander those prairies all of the time. And of course they were filled with wildlife 
Um, and I assumed, being four or five, six years old, that that would, you know, continue on forever. Well, of course, uh, as across the United States, the phenomenon of sprawl began to play out where there was soon a subdivision back there and then a shopping center and then a strip mall and then a superhighway, and that has continued on and on until this day. So as I went through my life and my career, I always had in the back of my mind, someday I want to have the time to do something about, you know, what we are doing with our wildlife habitat in the United States. So I uh, wound down my career and went back to school and got a Ph.D. in public administration and began to research the phenomenon of sprawl and agricultural use of wildlife habitat which led me across the Great Plains and into the Rocky Mountain region, interviewing people and studying this phenomenon. Along the way, I found out about Larry Haverfield, someone who stood up to what he saw was an injustice on his land, and that was the mandate through Kansas statute to have to poison wildlife on his land, and that, of course, was the prairie dogs. And he eventually won that. Other farmers and ranchers are waking up to that idea as well, but we have a long way to go. A pretty uh, sophisticated idea and story to uh, take up in a children's book. Why why did you uh, take that route? Well, that's a great question. And, you know, I thought about doing another scholarly study. My dissertation was done into a book. And I've been researching this phenomenon and what can be done about it for many years. And I looked at various avenues of how to approach the problem and hopefully get the message out and start some action. What was the best way to do that? And I teach part-time now in a private school with kids K through 8th grade. And I said, you know, these kids have this wonderful curiosity about animals, uh, especially wildlife. And maybe the best way to get this message out there is through a children's book, because, of course, their parents are going to read along with them. And so I ran this idea by a few people, and I started to read part of the manuscript to the kids, and they were very excited about it, and they sort of guided me along the way. And one thing led to the other. I found this wonderful publisher, Mary Dissonance Press, and they were very supportive of the idea, too. And so, you know, that, I guess, is the best way I can answer that. I think that kids, obviously, are the future, and I hope that their parents, especially in rural areas, can read this book, get something about it, and we can start at least a conversation, if not starting to change some minds about how we deal with wildlife on private lands, because up to this point in so many areas, especially in a very conservative rural area like Kansas, the idea has been if it's not our cattle, if it's not our pork, if it's not something that we're raising, whether it be plant or animal, it just gets in our way and we have to poison it, we have to annihilate it, we have to eradicate it. And fortunately, there are more and more people popping up, like Larry Haverfield, some of them really afraid to speak out, uh, as he did, because of the wrath of their neighbors. But I, I really want to get that conversation started and moving forward. And hopefully, since about 60% of the United States is in private hands, you know, it's obviously very important that we have a, a new attitude about wildlife on those lands. And I couldn't agree more. I want to mention the illustrations are done expertly by Rob Peters. And I also wanted to repeat the publisher, Mary Dissonance Press. I bet we have some aspiring children's book authors in our audience. So uh, check check them out if that's uh, one of the things on your bucket list. 
one of the minor heroes is, in fact, a lawyer. That was refreshing to see. Right. But Audubon of Kansas has been very diligent over the years in, in standing up for what's right in Kansas. And when Larry started to talk about you know, not complying with this law and what can he do about it. Audubon of Kansas found out they steered him towards Randy, the attorney. And as the story goes on to say, of course, Randy really stepped up and and did wonderful things for Larry and his neighbors and eventually won in that the Kansas Supreme Court refused to hear the case. So, yeah, this is a case in which uh, the attorney was the hero or at least one of the heroes. The book is called Larry Saves the Prairie. In it, you and your children will learn about a keystone species, the concept of keystone species. You'll learn about black-footed ferrets and how they are uh, related to prairie dog dogs and a lot of other interesting things. Thanks very much, uh, Matt, for joining us on Animals Today, and congratulations on a delightful book. Well, thank you so much, and uh, keep up the good work that you do. I have studied your website extensively, and... Uh, you know, all of the wonderful things you do for animals, whether they be agricultural animals or companion animals or wildlife, um, I'm with you all the way. And uh, I encourage your listeners to continue on in the good things they do, too. Well, thank you very much indeed. Every day in our community, countless animals are starved, beaten, and abused by people. And sadly, most of these cases go unreported, and the abusers get away with it. And in many cases, someone knew about the abuse, but did not report it. So if you see someone hurting an animal, or even if you just suspect something, call the police or animal control right away. Animal abuse does not just mean physically abusing an animal, Neglecting animals can be just as bad. So if you see your neighbor's dog being underfed, left without water, or tied up in the backyard without protection from the elements, it is important to report that too. In many cases, you don't even have to give your name, and your phone call may save an animal's life. Also, we know that many violent and abusive adults got their start by first abusing animals. It's true. People who harm animals often turn their violence against other people, and that is a cycle we need to break. Remember, animals can't speak out for themselves, so reporting animal abuse can save lives. This message is presented by Advancing the Interests of Animals. Visit them at www.aianimals.org. That's aianimals.org. Animals Today Radio is made possible in part by a generous grant from International Society for Animal Rights, isaronline.org.